0: This is the Millennial Movement Podcast, delivering you the most exclusive insights from the top entrepreneurs
1: and influencers from around the world. Hosted by business owner and influencer, Ricky Wynn. Now onto the show. Yo, 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 what's up? It's your boy, Ricky Wynn with the Millennial Movement, the dopest business podcast. Guys, today we have a very special guest on the show, Joshua Lasik. Joshua, how are you doing today, my guy? I'm well, even better since I got my hype band with me. (laughs) <laughs> awesome i'm glad that i'm your hype man uh you know we gotta start the show off right everyone I'm glad thank you for tuning in today Joshua is the only award-winning celebrity recommended professional ghostwriter josh i'm glad to have you on the show today and uh it's a pleasure to have you man
0: it's a pleasure to be here and talk shop talk business talk writing talk a little bit of everything today
1: yeah man you know i did a, a very exciting instagram live yesterday so you know i'm very passionate i'm very f- fired up today you know, with some topics. So yeah, let's get right into it, man. You know, open up to the show a little bit about who you are and what you do. And then we're just going to go straight into it, man.
0: Yes, yes. So I'm the guy who turns vague ideas for a book into a cash pumping literary masterpiece. The how that I do that is through a little thing that I call ghostwriting. So ghostwriting is not like where you hire some schmuck to write a book and your name, it's all their ideas. You slap your name on it and bada bing, bada boom doesn't quite go like that. Rather, I work with everybody from your A-list celebrity types, celebrity entrepreneurs, very successful business people, on down to great grandma who wants to share her story with her grandkids about what life was like during the war. Little bit of everything. What I do is I take the author's ideas, their stories, their experiences, their frameworks, their processes, basically them, and I put it in print in their voice. Going back to 2011, when I started my business, Ricky, I've ghostwritten over 40 books by this point. And every single author I've ever worked with, after they've seen the material that I've produced for them, usually it's just like the first draft, right? So they download the attachment in Gmail, a little nervous because it's you know they, they just hired this ghostwriter. I'm like, man, is this actually going to come through? Is this going to feel like me? They read the sample chapter I've written for them. They get back with me and they say, oh my God, Joshua, I can't even tell that I worked with a ghostwriter. It feels like me. So the job of a ghostwriter is to unscramble all of your ideas for your book, write the best version of your book, and of course, it's your book, and not just deliver a word document. But when when I authors work with me, I hand over to them a turnkey publishing business. So their book is available in digital, in print, in audio, in over one hundred countries. We've built a book promotional funnel. Oftentimes, we're using that free plus shipping model that basically pumps leads into your business for free, a little bit of everything to start producing return on investment for my offers really, really quickly. I always like to say that writing a book is the key that opens all doors of opportunity for your business.
1: Awesome. Holy shit. Shout out to the ghostwriters, man. That's awesome. (laughs) But hey, I wanted to ask, so what is the difference between ghostwriting and like self-publishing? So of course, you know, there are people like, you know, I've, I've written five books. I'm the author of this book and that book, right? So, what's the difference between having a ghostwriter and a- actually, like, you know, self-publishing the book yourself?
0: Yes, yes. So, ninety nine point ninety nine percent of ghostwriters, you hire these guys. When the relationship is over, they email you a Word document or PDF, and of course, you kind of have to figure everything out by the by yourself. You know, it's kind of like imagine if you're going on uh, on an exciting trip. Maybe you're backpacking Europe, or you're climbing the Andes to go see Machu Picchu. Some crazy adventure like that well if you hired a guide who took you up into the mountains and said okay you can find your way from here good luck you'd fire that guy you might want to kill that guy yeah. <laughs> you know that's, that's a terrible guide. And, and unfortunately a lot of the professionals in my industry that's what they do with authors they take them by the hand into the unknown and dump them there with a word document or with a with a pdf so what i've done in my business is i've developed and alternative to, here's a here's a Word document for your book, go figure it out. I call it ghost publishing. So just as in ghost writing, you, know, you hire a ghost writer, they do all the work, you take all the credit. When you work with a ghost publisher, like my company, Entrepreneur's Wordsmith, it's like we take care of setting up an entire publishing business, an imprint right alongside your existing mm-hmm. brand business that releases your book. You have real books. These aren't self-published books. These are the real deal through a real publishing business, aka yours. And of course, everything's taken care of for you. The traditional publishing industry quality is there. There's no shortcuts. We take care of all tech support, all customer service shenanigans. We take care of all of that. And so it's not just a Word document, but you're literally buying a business when you work with the entrepreneurs Wordsmith.
1: That's so dope. And it just kind of explains everything, like the whole process and how you go about the whole situation as well. You know, basically from point A to the end as well, you're basically doing the the work for them as well, which is so unique. So, you know, how did you kind of strategize everything? You know, when you first got started in uh, Ghost Run, how did you kind of strategize and start like working with the clientele? Like, you know, when you sat down with them to, you know, write their book, how did you kind of strategize? All right. After you got this story, how did you kind of go back and bring with your people to make it come to reality. Yes,
0: yes. So whenever you're thinking about writing a book, there's Mm. a lot of fears that you have for anything from, are people actually going to want to read this to, I know no one's going to want to read this, too. <laughs> Is anyone going to buy this? Nope. I know no one's going to want to buy this. And so I've often found, Ricky, that the people who should be writing books are the ones who aren't right now, <laughs> by and large. And the people who yeah, maybe they shouldn't have are the ones you know, who are on their 10th or 11th book at this point. There's a, there's a lot of, um, I'll call it iceberg lettuce literary scene Mm -hmm. out there, you know, not a lot of substance, but there's a lot of it. It's like an iceberg lettuce salad is what a lot of books are nowadays. So if you're a little worried, you know, are people actually going to want to buy this, do it, does anyone want to really hear my story? I actually see those as tip offs that you probably have an amazing story. You're probably familiar, Ricky, with this cognitive bias called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Well, the idea of that is that these researchers, they looked at a bunch of uh, experts. And the experts, they tended to second-guess themselves. They tended to worry maybe they didn't have all the answers. And it was those people who were most qualified to give the answers. Those are the ones who actually knew what they were talking about. Then they looked at these airheads, ego-driven people, right, who were as confident as Donald Trump in the White House, right? (laughs) But they had no idea what they were talking. And so that's the Dunning-Kruger effect. And so I see a lot of the authors that I talk to, you would not believe these people's resumes. And One one of the uh, recent people that I I worked with, he bootstrapped his way to a $100 million company exit. Literally by himself, he his wife, his kids, they threw together this amazing business, purchased by a Fortune 500 company without any outside funding. An incredible, incredible story. And he's sitting here thinking, you know, Josh... I don't know if anyone wants to read this book, my, my book idea. And I'm like, are you kidding, man? Are you insane? Yeah, <laughs> how many? You made a hundred million dollars. Who wouldn't want to read your story? <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. That's right. And but, so everybody has their own version of, does anyone really want to know how I made a hundred million dollars? Uh-huh. You know, everyone has that, that, that journey. So what my job really is to do is to act, not just as the ghostwriter for my authors, but as their therapist, their confidant, their wingman, (laughs) you know, all of those things that is going to boost, it's going to boost their confidence. But more than that, actually help them write the best version of their book. So one of the things that I do with every author, I get their own concerns. I get their own worries out of the way. We have an uncensored relationship. I tell my authors, what exactly do you want to say to these these readers of yours that they're going to have? What have you never said? On your YouTube, on your Instagram Live, that you really want to say, you just haven't had the confidence to say it. And then the words come. And so it's my job to sort through all of those, go in and out of the rabbit holes, and compile it all together. And so we have a razor sharp book that's going to piss off all the wrong people and entertain, delight, and persuade all the right people. I met an author one time who said that if your book isn't Pissing off half of your readers—you're doing something wrong. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> wow, yeah, what do you mean by that?
0: Yes, yes. So, the most effective form of book marketing out there please—it is word of mouth marketing. Mm. What kind of books do people tell their friends, their colleagues, their families, their customers about? The books that really get them, the books that catch them, the books they finish. And if you have a vanilla milk toast manuscript that, you know, keeps everybody happy. It doesn't really step on any toes. It's just kind of there. Well, that's not something that's going to get recommendations. That's not even going to be a book that people finish because they're going to go on to something more exciting. Like whatever the latest controversy was on Twitter today, You know the top trending hashtag. Mm-hmm. So what you need to do is you need to get people excited. I almost say, imagine what would be the most extreme version of what you could possibly say to your readers, and that's probably where you need to start. And if, if you're going to have a book that engages your future word-of-mouth marketers, the people who sell your book like wildfire, you can't hold back. You have to be the uncensored version of yourself. That doesn't mean cussing and carrying on and you know just 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 being a, a you know being a troll mm. on the page but it rather means speaking your truth without worrying what anyone is going to think. And I often find that having a ghostwriter help you do that is one of the ways that you can get out of your own way and write the most exciting version and the most sexy version of your book. So how did you get into the field of ghostwriting? Completely by accident, Ricky. <laughs> so let's rewind the clock back a few years. I was mentioning you know my, my early days as a ghostwriter. Well, before that even, my dream, my ambition as a kid was that I was gonna become a published novelist someday. Mm-hmm. Before I could uh, before I could legally drink alcohol, man, I was twenty years old, I had a two-book publishing deal with a publisher out of Washington, DC for two novels of mine. I'm going out and about promoting these books. And a couple of my freelance writing side hustle clients i had kind of on the side yeah. uh they reached out to me and they said joshua we got to checking out your books we read the first few pages and wow you had us hooked from page one through like page 50 it's past midnight and i'm still reading how did you do that because i need you to do that for my book i mm-hmm. say what book what are you talking about they come back to me and they say joshua i don't want to write fiction i don't want to you know write a novel. I want to share my story, my experiences, becoming the the man, the woman that I am today in this industry. Can you help me?" And like a a real idiot, I said, no, (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm a novelist, I write my own work. Yeah. Nevertheless, one particular client persisted and I finally said, sure, okay, fine, I'll write your book for you. And Ricky, I have been saying, sure, okay, fine, I'll write your book for you ever since.
1: Really. So whenever you started, you know, you kind of had a passion of being a novelist. So, you know, is it kind of fair to say that, you know, even throughout your middle, you know, early childhood, you know, middle school, high school as well, that, you know, you wanted, you were good in writing?
0: Yes, yes. And interestingly enough, I, I so I mentioned that I had a freelance writing side hustle at the time. There's yeah. a fun story behind that. And it ultimately, the... Uh, the harvest of that story is my TED talk that I did a few years ago. Actually, I, I call it "Creating Your Dream Job from Scratch" because that's exactly what I did. You know, a lot of a lot of us young guns out here we're we're kind of uh, we got a few different paths, right? We can kind of do the entrepreneurial thing, or we can go kind of the traditional corporate ladder climbing path. Now, our generations past that's. By and large, the only choice that they had was to climb the ladder, to get their dream job maybe in 40 years and get the pension. Well, nowadays, with the internet, with decentralized entrepreneur- entrepreneurship, we can create our own dream job from scratch. And so how I ended up doing that was when I was in college, actually high school, college, and in my, my first, corporate, uh, first corporate gig, I had professors, employees, and coworkers all telling me, I should not be doing what I was doing. And I should become a professional writer. So that was some stark feedback. They're Like, wow, I have to give you 150% on this essay you wrote. It, it's twice as good as, any, as anyone else's for this class. And you're younger than all your classmates. They're upperclassmen. And you're just a, a freshman kid in here. Oh, my goodness. So that was the type of things that I heard from people. And as I shared in my TED Talk, one of My uh, one of my bosses at the corporate gig that I had back when I was surrounded by the four walls of a cubicle, she took me aside one day and she said very clearly, "Joshua, this is not our pink slip conversation where I tell you that either you can resign voluntarily or you're out. It's not that conversation," (laughs) she She said. "But rather, I'm looking out for your best interest here." She said, "You have no future in this company. You have a as a professional writer." working for yourself we're never going to be able to create that opportunity for you so why don't you just go create it yourself mm. kind of paraphrasing those were her words and so i said okay yeah. why not and it was a couple of weeks later i was out of there and that really kicked off my my transition from the side hustle of freelance writing side hustle at the time to being a, a full-time professional ghostwriter and it's been a wild ride so if there's if there's one tip that i can take out of that that would be useful to anyone listening whether you're still in college or you're maybe a few years into your career and maybe feel like you're kind of hitting the dead end or you've climbed that corporate ladder and you realize that the next few rungs up are missing (laughs) you're (laughs) like now what yeah what are the specific things that your professors your bosses, your coworkers, even extended out to your family and friends that they're always complimenting you about. Like, wow, dude, you're really good at that. Mm-hmm. What are those things that they're, that they're telling you about? I bet you that there is at least, at least the makings of a $1,000 a month side hustle there. At least. It turns out in my case, being a professional ghostwriter for celebrities and entrepreneurs, it's a lot more than that. But I would had to be willing to start with what people were saying me and telling me that I was good at, so take that third party feedback and see if maybe you can just hang up a shingle, so to speak, and start your start your side hustle and see if people will pay you for what they're telling you that you are already naturally good at. It makes sense to build on your strengths rather than this whole oh let's leverage our strengths but let's improve our weaknesses thing. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, would you rather turn a thousand bucks into ten thousand a month? Or would you, would you rather try to turn a few pennies and a few dimes into a couple of bucks a month? I mean, that's basically the advice. Yeah. Work on your weaknesses while you're building up your strengths. Forget the weaknesses, folks. That's not where the money is. You know, your weaknesses will only ever come not too bad. And mm-hmm. not too bad, that's not where the, the money is to be made in the entrepreneurial game nowadays the 21st century. So hope-
1: so everyone says it's like, you know, um, you know, hey, Josh, it's so easy for you to say that because you already have your dream job. But, you know, for someone like, you know, that's still in college or still in high school or, you know, still working a nine to five path, you know, how can they create that reality for themselves? You know, and that if they're in a situation where, you know, they can't, you know, really see that far ahead or, you know, they don't know how to get there yet. How can someone go about it? You know, even for me, you know, like I'll take it for myself, for example, right? Like I've tried to work a, you know, a nine to five job at, you know, I was working for this marketing company and it had me working at Sam's Club and I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) So like I literally quit within the first week. I think in total, I think I counted days was like six days. For, so for someone like me, it's not going to really work out. So for someone who's like, they want to get into that path, but they don't know how to. It's like, all right, you, Josh, you already have your dream job. How can I create mine?
0: My first freelance writing project that I ever got paid $1.67 an what hour. What the fuck? <laughs> Wait, what? It was the most
1: rewarding
0: $1.67 an hour that I ever earned. Really? Because... It was a test. Uh I had people around me telling me, you should become a professional writer. I thought, why not try it out? So I called myself a freelance writer. I reached out to a few different businesses out there, looked at some job boards online. I got my first gig eight years ago. Yes, it it, it paid not even enough to get a nice cup of joe at McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) But... It was proof that everyone in my life was right. If Ricky, if you get paid a dollar sixty-seven an hour to do something,
1: are you a professional? Yes or no? <laughs> well, yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: Well, you know, if you're yeah, if you're a professional, that means you're getting paid for something. So I saw myself as like, well, this is the this is the the, the beginning of a long journey. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and a long journey it ended up being. So for for me. My mindset was, I I have to start somewhere. I'll start anywhere. I don't want to start working for free. Uh, I've been working for free as a college student, writing all these essays and papers and crap. Enough of that.
1: Yeah, exactly. That that wasn't working for me as well either. (laughs) No, actually, funny thing. I actually used to make money in college, but we'll get to that later. But go ahead.
0: Oh, that sounds like a fun story there. (laughs) So, you know, I I had this, this, this really, you know, frankly painfully small uh, beginning as a, as a freelance writer, but I was willing to start somewhere and just see where it would go. And I think that willingness to just see where it go and, and not have my ego be like, Oh, well, I need to charge what I work, what I'm worth. I need to have such and such amount, blah, 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 blah. You know, I just, I took my, I let my ego be completely out of it because I didn't know what to expect. And so once I just kind of frankly blundered into this side hustle and just tested to see if anyone would pay me, they actually would. The next test was, okay, is there a project that would pay me at least minimum wage? Turns out, yes, there was. And I just kept asking, you know, kind of asking myself, is there someone else that's going to be pay, paying this or that or all these these other things? And now the type of ghostwriting projects that I that I uh, that I get, um, they are far and beyond what I earned in a year as a guy working working in so I remember what it was like to work in the in the cubicle, and which is what I did after after college. I, I did in fact go to university. I graduated. I had I have two degrees, which you know, by and large, I mean, you could say they're useless. They could say that they serve me. You could say whatever.
1: I was going but to ask, if, do you use your degrees today in what you do?
0: For the college kids think are out any, there. Any connection, Frank? I don't see <laughs> any connection whatsoever, other than the fact that it was those degrees earning those degrees, writing the essays, the theses, etc., that I met the professors who told me I should become a professional writer. So in that respect, they were they were worth it. But that's not at all the benefit I was promised, you know, as a millennial going into university to say, oh, you're going to have all these great opportunities in corporate America and be so successful, blah, 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 blah. And you'll be able to retire someday. Of course, that's not happening. That's, that's, the, that's the boomer dream that is no more, uh, unfortunately. And so for a lot of us, us younger folks, we kind of have to figure our own way out. And for me, it was starting at, will someone pay me anything for this skill? And I, it turns out there's a lot of people that I think would, would behoove themselves to start there. Just say, hey, I've got this skill people compliment me on. I think I'm kind of good at this. Will anyone pay me for it? And it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars at the start. It just has to be something that's, that's enough for you to ask, okay, maybe I can do this again. Will
1: someone else pay me more next time? And just keep asking that for sure. And then you know, definitely going back to the college point as well. I could, I, I think I could consider myself a freelance writer. And I'm gonna tell you the stories because, like, when when I was going to college, right? So my major was marketing, and then my minor was business. So going into college, you know, I had a, you know, my professor he gave us quizzes. You know, he said, all right. Six quizzes, these six has to be done by the first semester, by the end of the semester, right? During, you know, midterms. And then the other six were due at the end of the semester coming up for finals. So that's 12 quizzes in total for two different classes I had with the same professors. So considering myself as, you know, the one that always likes to get... You know, I'm a good student, quote, quote, like to get the work done ahead, you know? So I did all the work. I got all the answers. And basically, I took notes on the answers and kept them like on the notes on my phone, right? And basically, you know, I feel like I might need to keep this for, you know, upcoming tests or, you know, the finals and midterms because you said it's going to be on it. And then I kind of had a good idea. was like, you know what? I've already done the work. Let me see if anyone else in my classroom has done any of these quizzes yet. And find out, luckily enough, Josh, no one in the class did any of the quizzes yet, right? And this is like two months into the, you know, the school year already and like going towards the end of the semester as well. So I'm like, I figured out, all right, I have the students that have not done it yet and then I have these answers. How can I negotiate business with them? And it kind of clicked to me. It was like, why don't I just sell them my answers? So I had 10 students from each class and I charged $10 a quiz. So that's like 20 students for $10 you know, we kind of do the math right there. And then I just kind of made my money throughout school. And I did that throughout my college years as well.
0: That's living the dream, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause if you just kind of figure it out, is that kind of freelancing work as well? Cause I was right. I was taking a notes myself. Wasn't I? That's right. That's
0: <laughs> right. You know, Ricky, you made me think of something from your story. If I can just kind of jump right in. And see go ahead. Go room. ahead. And something I just noticed about you and I in our own journey is that that goes against a lot of what a lot of the so-called gurus and experts out there are all blabbering about all day long uh, with their 10K a month, passive income, residual income, sustainable earnings, blah, 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 blah.
1: <laughs> yeah, when I know you're what you're talking about. Now,
0: especially as a, as a younger person, you don't have a, you know, two decades of a, of a track record behind you. Sustainability comes later. We're in that hustle mode, figure out what people are willing to pay for, just coming up with ideas and going as close, or I guess not as close, but as fast to earning money as possible. You know, you threw together a service, kind of an offering right there. You see if people would pay for it, mm-hmm. they would. It was the same case with me and my freelance writing capabilities. Well, people pay me for this. I'll go find out. A day later, exactly. boom, I had, I had a, albeit a very small project, but it was, it was something. You know, exactly. if I had dreamed of how do I have the perfect business model to build, you know, six figures, six months, six weeks, six ways, I never would have made it. The yeah. sustainability
1: comes later, folks. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like what you say, it's just kind of how you start at the beginning as well. I think that's just the whole main point of it. It's just like, you know, when you're first starting out, it's like, all right, how can I make it? How can I make extra money? How can I put extra side money into my pocket? Where, you know, it's not taxes taken out, it's just going directly to you just for the labor, but the skills that you know and that you inherit as well. So, it's like for me, I've already done, you know, it's like when you're starting out in business, whether it's, you know, I used to resell sneakers or, you know, selling test answers, right? One student for six quizzes, that's $60 a student. Now, you multiply that by 10, that's $600, in one class. Now you do about two classes as 1,200 in just one semester. So it's just about figuring out how you could do it smallly. And like you said, like, you know, these gurus like 10K a month, 10K this, you know, like, I can help you with this, but it's just about, you know, it's a marathon and it takes time to build progress over time, but it's just, it's a slow path and it's a slow grind, but it's, you know, you got to figure it out along the way.
0: That's right. That's right. And that figuring it out never quite,
1: uh, never quite ends. And no, that's it, what doesn't, I'm, it doesn't. It doesn't. And it never ends because you always. I mean, Josh, you probably to this day, you know, when you wake up, sometimes when like with your business, you probably question yourself of, you know, what task or what objective you have to, you know, get through today, don't you?
0: Absolutely. I'm always asking, is there a better, smarter, faster, cheaper way to do X? Of course. And so, if if I if I didn't ask that question, if my entire goal was get to 10K a month or, or whatever that number a month is that, that a lot of us are chasing, especially earlier on in our careers, mm-hmm. we're going to end up, well, trying to answer the wrong question. The right question should be, how can I help this type of customer, this type of a client, this market, again, better, faster, cheaper, smarter than the competitors out there? So that it becomes a, it becomes a question and it's a mindset that's all around getting you paying customers fast as possible. Whereas if you're asking yourself, how do I get to 10 K a month? That has nothing to do with your customers. Like you're so far away from monetizing anything. Uh You're going to be running in circles going to Tony Robbins events for the rest of your life.
1: I agree. I agree with you. And I just want to ask who is, you know, your favorite person to work with, you know, with, with writing their book and writing their story. I would
0: have to refer to a type of person. So yes, Mm. I certainly enjoy working with the authors who they're known by millions of people. They have established brands. Their readers or not just the readers, but their fans or followers, their customers have been begging them to write a book for years. Mm. Those are fun, but those are fun, financially rewarding for sure projects. But the type of people that I find get the most joy out of, I call them the breakout stars of tomorrow these are the people who have a fantastic message. They have the, the street cred. They are a household name, just not in so many households yet. Right. They're mm. they're the people that are going to be on Joe Rogan experience two years from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that's kind of the level that they're at right now. Yeah. So those are the most rewarding ones because I get to be part of their meteoric rise. and uh-huh. And just as, Gary V became the household name for digital entrepreneurs by writing his book, Crush It. That was his before after moment. There was Gary Vee before his book, Gary Vee after his book. Yeah. That's the exact same transformation I offer to my own authors is there's before you met me and and, and launched your book, and then there's you after that. And the after is so amazing. And I get to be kind of that linchpin moment for them. That's truly a blast for me.
1: I can't wait to be that one person one day, man. That's gonna be sick. <laughs> but no, you, you help people launch their book, which ultimately helps them establish their personal brands online around social media as well. So just to ask, do people really get credibility for having a book and what's the benefit for having and writing a book as well? They do, they do. And
0: I think the, the credibility really comes from being able to say the following.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I wrote the book on my industry or my product, or my service, or my whatever. It's it's being able to put together two to 300 pages worth of insights not seen before. Techniques not tested before in the way that you have. Success stories never heard before. And you get to come out and you get to plant a flag of authority, credibility, and expertise. The great way to remember that is the acronym ACE, A-C-E, Authority Credibility Expertise. That's what you get when you, when you author a book, because in addition to the perceived value, um, you actually have again, two to 300 pages worth of useful information where you get to go as how to as possible, all of the tips and tactics and tricks that you can't fit into a five minute YouTube video or a two minute. <laughs> Instagram. Yeah. But you can just take as much time as you need to explore all of it. It, it literally becomes the best place to int- be introduced to not just you and your brand but
1: to your world view yo josh when are you gonna help me write my book man i need As to build i need to call. i need to build my brand credibility <laughs> I'm still thinking about this call ricky <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure but no so with, with working with so many people and you know I you know, I'm guessing you work with so many celebrities and business icons and leaders as well. You know, with working with so many people, what's the, you know, the one common characteristics that you see they all share for others to follow, you know, towards success as well?
0: Yes. Yes. That's a, that's a good point because as I work with my, as I work with my authors, I kind of have to become an expert at the same thing that they're an expert at so they can write in their voice. So I have picked up some pretty wild skill sets over the years <laughs> and wild knowledge bases over the years. But if there is a common thread amongst the, the, the truly icons of success that, that we all look up to, if there's one characteristic, they are afraid of what people will think, but they say it anyway. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a lot of people out there that they are they are aspiring in some way. They're aspiring authors, aspiring artists, aspiring yeah. creatives, aspiring designers, aspiring entrepreneurs, aspiring solopreneurs, aspiring musicians, whatever. But the idea of what people might say in response to them, the criticism, the critiques, the insults, the trollery that they could, that they, they, they could expect to, to get, they worry about that. And so they don't be the authentic, uncensored version of themselves in their art or in their business or in their service. They play it small. They try to not get noticed by you know by too many people, right? But when I look at the type of folks that, that come to me that end up working with me and the message that we put together, they, they have all those fears. Don't get me wrong. They worry about what people are going to uh, say about them on Twitter. They worry about the one-star reviews on Google or on Yelp or wherever their business is. They're concerned about people doing response videos on YouTube to them. They're even concerned about people writing books personally to rebut them and their brand, which unfortunately does happen. Wow, really? Even so, they say it, they do it, they write it anyway. They say, consequences be damned. I am going to speak the truth as I see it, as I know it, and In that way, it's almost like a step of faith. It's almost a spiritual experience for people when they are willing to take that step into the unknown. Yes, they know the ideas are good. They know that people are going to love the crap out of it and buy it by the truckload, their Uh, book.
1: But but at the end of the day, they have
0: to be willing to to take the leap and say, no matter what people say about me,
1: I'm going to be me anyway. You know, that's the one thing I love about just kind of having a mentor and just learning from other people as well is because one of my favorite quotes that I live by is, you know, I'd rather be, you know, I'd rather be loved for who I am than be hated for who I'm not. And, you know, it really speaks truth for me is because, you know, I'd rather be, you know, loved to, to just be truthful with myself and with who I am than not, you know, be hated for, you know, pretending to some be someone I'm not, you know, not speaking my mind or not, you know. Voicing out my opinion, you know, I'd rather be truthful, be 100 with people, but in a respectful way. And I think sometimes people, I say, shy away from the situation. They don't want to speak out. So how do people kind of be more open about, you know, their situation just kind of be more straightforward?
0: Yes. How do you be more straightforward? How do you be the authentic version of yourself? How do you not hold back when you're communicating, whether you're writing a book
1: or you're putting together your first? Exactly. Because for me, I mean, for me, sorry to cut you off, but like even for me, like without throughout, you know, on a daily basis as well too. like for, you know, you know, I'm really like big with you know, uh, universal, you know, astrology as well. So I'm a Virgo, you know, we're very blunt and very honest as well. Yeah. So, you know, so you know how we are, right? So, you know, we're very truthful about we speak, but it's the truth, but it's ugly truth with no disrespect. It's just love, right? So how do you kind of people go about it when, you know, about the situation?
0: One of the characteristics, the virtues that U.S. President Abraham Lincoln was adored for was his ability to see a situation through to its most likely conclusion. And then, given what that most likely conclusion was going to be, make his decision based on that. So let's borrow President Abraham Lincoln's principle, his decision-making, future-casting principle, and apply it to this fear, to this worry, that what are people going to say? Maybe it's going to suck. Well, let's think about the most likely conclusion. Are there going to be critics? The yes, because that's life. There's always someone that doesn't like it. What if you thought it, about it like this? What if instead of trying to be the vanilla person who is going to kind of not tell it like it is about your industry, about your business, what if you thought through and said, I actually am going to intend to make some people angry? Of course, the people that you don't want, right? Like It's okay to repel haters. So put, just like we put on Mosquito Repellent before we walk into the woods, Ricky, put on some hater repellent in your book. Okay. <laughs> step out, step out there into the literary world and tell it like it is so that the people that, that are going to adore you are going to meet you. And then if you get criticism, if you do get the trolls, if you do get people who come at you with those one-star, two-star, three-star reviews, you can look at them and you can take them seriously. You can say, huh maybe they're right about something here mm-hmm. so it's not a longer fear you're okay with 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 pissing off at people you don't want to be buying from your business anyway of course so you, you, you're fine with that but you're thinking through to the point where if there is any criticism to my book i am going to choose to receive it because i know it's coming from people that love me that love my brand and that want me to succeed so you go to those one star reviews you go to the negative press the, the, the videos that maybe you're uncomfortable with that people have posted about you and about your book. And you can go to those videos and see them as useful feedback to make your next book even better. I love it, man. I love it. So what are your top five tips for success? Top five tips of success. Well, I'm sure a lot of the audience is familiar with the guy named Robert Cialdini. He wrote a book called Influence the Psychology of Persuasion. Kind of the game-changing book for all digital marketers. If you write copy, if you are a ClickFunnels member, if you know any of these any
1: of these terms <laughs> I've thrown out right now, you've heard of Robert Cialdini. Draw shipping, e-commerce, click funnels, Mailchimp. Overlo- uh, yeah, yeah. Let's stop there. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, it, it all started with the
0: psychology of persuasion put forward by Robert Cialdini. Uh-huh. So here's the six principles of of influence. As a celebrity ghostwriter, I have what I call the six pillars of influential content.
1: Oh, so we get a bonus.
0: get that what you want is that your content whether it's a 300 word article on your blog or a 300 page book that's a bestseller it needs to be built on the six pillars of influential content shall we dive into those and build up those pillars right now ricky let's do it all right first pillar credibility what is credibility it's not your resume it's not your linkedin profile okay (laughs) it's the unique lived experience you have that no one can match it's your story that's unlike any others, and it gets people's attention. You set this pillar up for me, man, when you first introduced me. You said that I was the only, in the world, the only award-winning, celebrity-recommended, number one international best-selling, certified professional ghostwriter. Mm -hmm. I am literally at the pinnacle of my profession, and I'm not afraid to say that because it's the truth. See, this is another thing that I love about the office I work with. They are not afraid to speak the truth, even if it's something that might make them sound a little cocky. (laughs) If it's true, don't be ashamed to to share it. So the credibility pillar is where you need to reveal to the world you may not have all of the credentials from the traditional college to career path. But if you have the experience, if you have the results, if you have the accolades that people actually care about, then you want to talk about that in your article, in your book, in your message. Credibility first pillar. Second pillar, connection. This is where a lot of books go wrong. And not just books, but articles, any written content. Is there almost like a mirror for the author? The author sits down in front of a blank word document, checks themselves. Okay, what's on my mind right now? Oh, and they just start writing. And whatever comes out is probably not going to be designed to be maximally useful to their readers. So here's how you set up the connection pillar. If you're writing a book, then you're gonna be writing for people who've already read books in your book category. So let's say you're in the digital marketing, web marketing, right? Mm -hmm. So you're writing a book about web marketing. Go over to Amazon. Go to the two, three, and four star reviews. Those neutral reviews by people who've actually thought about the book. They're not the haters, they're not the lovers. They're kind of the, the middle of the road folks. And look at what people are saying consistently. About the best selling books in your category. And you know with certainty these people are going to be reading your book in the future. So you're going to see things like, man, I bought this book because the author promised to cover this topic, like copywriting formulas, and all I got was one paragraph. I wanted an entire chapter or a whole section in the book. Maybe four or five different people say that. And then you think, huh, maybe I need to include a section or a chapter on copywriting formulas. And in so doing, you are connecting the content of your book to what your future readers are willing to pay for. Mm. It's a powerful pillar, connection. Third pillar of influential content, compelling. Simply put, don't write a college textbook, the kind (laughs) of textbook that professors assign that everyone knows nobody reads. And then, of course, they sell it back to the bookstore for 75% less than what they paid for it. Okay? Don't be the person who writes at that 12th grade or above level. And here's an interesting tip from politics I want to share with you. The last presidential election we had a few years ago, it was against two candidates from different parties. But I also Uh like to think of it as two different language tiers going up against one another. There was an individual who spoke with a lot of intellectual vocabulary high level stuff, this particular candidate spoke at like an 11th grade, 12th grade level, right? So like you need to be kind of a sharp person to understand this. And then there was the candidate who had compelling language. This in the candidate spoke at a fourth grade level. Interestingly enough, the yeah. the level of like the publishing industry if you want to write at the fifth grade level, at the fourth grade level, you're speaking in very, very simple terms. Uh-huh. You're using metaphors, concrete language, nothing is abstract or ethereal. It's all in your face, visual, easy to understand. The person who's president of the United States right now, I would say there's there's a contributing factor was that fourth grade reading level. So you, my friend, you want to become the next president.
1: <laughs> Don't have maybe a fourth now. grade reading level. <laughs> you
0: want to the of your industry, yeah. maybe the president of your network, uh, maybe unofficially, write compellingly. Use the fourth grade, fifth grade level. Speak like a person. Don't try to get all intellectual and abstract. The fourth pillar of influential content is counter industry. Wrap it kind of up here. I feel like we talked about this already where you're speaking the uncensored version of yourself. Don't be bashful about bashing bad ideas. If you're coming out with a new book, then there's probably previous books you've read that made you think gosh, I could do it better than this. Mm -hmm. So call out the ideas that maybe are so terrible, even if they're by New York Times bestselling authors. Call out the bad ideas that inspired you to write your book to set the record straight. You're going to get so many people thanking the living mail out of you for doing this. Counter-industry, fourth pillar.
1: Was it called counter? You said counter-industry?
0: Yes, counter-industry. Go against what the the titans of the industry, the go-to experts in your industry are saying. Don't be afraid to be a little controversial. Mm, Okay. Fifth pillar of influential content, call to action. I have several authors that have used their books to build insanely profitable businesses. So what happens is you buy the book, you get some amazing resources for free that allow you to quickly cheaply and easily implement what's in the book all you got to do is get on the author's email list download all the resources and implement away it's a very easy kind of stupid easy call to action you're (laughs) like why wouldn't i get on this person's email list yeah for sure given me these copy and paste email scripts to cold pitch prospects they gave me the formula for how to write it in the book that's really cool but if i get on the person's email list I get these 30 email scripts for free, copy, paste, send, cha-ching. Why wouldn't I follow that call to action? Yeah, exactly. Most, Not just persuasive, but profitable books have a call to action that, again, makes it easy and quick and even fun to implement what's in the book. Sixth pillar of influential content, circulation. And this is probably the most difficult one that I find a lot of authors come to me asking about. And they say things like, "Is my idea for a book too small? Am I thinking too small? Is the niche too small? I, you know, I, I want to write it for you know, for customers and clients like I already have, mm-hmm. but maybe that's not enough people. What should I do here? The idea of circulation is that you want as many people as possible to become word of mouth marketers for you. So think: Is there a way for you to write a book so that? When your ideal prospect, maybe let's say a CEO or a founder, reads your book, is it broad enough that they could go home, give it to their significant other? The significant other could give it to their coffee buddy. Their mm. coffee buddy can give it to their dad. The dad could give it to his boss. His boss could give it to the intern. The intern could get. You see where I'm going? Like yeah, just keep, it's a, just a
1: continuous cycle.
0: Right, right. Mm. So you go and look. I mean, go and look at business category bestsellers on amazon right now and you'll see books that are insanely broad that anybody can pick them up so you know just to pick one that that's been you know famous for for years seven habits of highly effective people Mm -hmm. who doesn't want to be a highly effective person
1: of course yeah everyone everyone everyone. should be yeah (laughs) now
0: granted if you're writing a book about entrepreneurship like it's not like you can write it for grandma, <laughs> okay? But but ideally speaking, how how can you broaden the uh, the idea to reach as many people as uh, as you possibly can? Now maybe like some clients, you're writing for a specific industry. Now outside of the industry, it doesn't really matter. Well, what are the different types of individuals in your industry? For example, I have a, a client who serves a lot of attorneys. In his mm-hmm. case, circulation was let's apply the content to personal injury lawyers, IP attorneys, criminal defense lawyers, like name every type of law, like 50 different areas. And we made sure that there was something in there for all of them. So that it had circulation potential Uh,
1: in the the legal profession. Okay. Understandable. I get it. I I see how you kind of did it like that and kind of distributed it into his niche wise. That's right, that's right. So it still has circulation potential, even mm. though it's
0: uh, even though it's a narrow topic. we've uh, we've inverted it a little bit so that, well, it, it became a bestseller, it became super profitable. He shot me an unsolicited testimonial video in which he said that his book has built him a one million dollar product funnel for his brand.
1: Sheesh, that's a lot. So just to kind of go back on each topic just to make sure. So number one is credibility. Two is connection. and then three is writing compelling, influential content. Four is counter-industry. Next is call to action. And then the last one is circulation. Boom. You got it. The six C's, the six pillars of influential content. You write a book that
0: has all these pillars. It's built on all six pillars, and you will be an ace. You will have authority, credibility, and go-to expertise.
1: Yeah. I didn't even know this was the top, uh, the six season until you said, it. I was looking back I was like, Oh shit, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Josh, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, man, but I love having you on, man. But before we leave, we do a takeaway with our guests. What's your one advice that you could give through the ups and downs and the struggles that you had to go through from, you know, starting out to be a freelance writer to get to where you are today, man.
0: Yes. Yes. So I look at the type of clients that I have now and I look at where I started, 2011, me, right? The the person who hadn't written one book yet, that type of person would be blown away by the type of folks who reach out to me begging me to write their book nowadays. And I think, what has brought me to this point? Well, it's being willing to work with people who at that time, I felt like were out of my league. Because it turns out, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I was wrong that they were out of my league. They were not. I had something valuable that they needed. And it doesn't matter that I didn't have millions of fans, followers, and customers like they did. I had a skill that they didn't. And so they coveted what I had, and they were willing to work with me in order to get their book out into the world. So if I were to tell Joshua Lysek, circa 2011, one piece of advice, it would be, no one is above you. You are not below anyone's league. And I would share that same advice with anyone else. You never know who, no matter what their status is, needs what you have or how insanely much they would be willing to pay you for it.
1: For sure. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, Joshua, You know, for taking the time to be on the show, man. I really appreciate having you on, man. You provided so much value and knowledge to the millennials and everyone out there that's listening. Where can they find you at, man? Head on over to EntrepreneursWordsmith.com.
0: Entrepreneurs is plural. Wordsmith is, well, word and Smith. EntrepreneursWordsmith.com. I also have over 90 trainings on how to write influential content on my YouTube channel. Just go over to YouTube, search Joshua Lysak, and you'll find me.
1: Awesome, awesome. This is a Millennium movement. Until next time, we're out. All my
0: life, running my life. Sacrifice, hustle, price. slice?